0: Welcome to the Brand Builders Love Podcast. I'm your host, Suze Chadwick, creator of Brand Builders Academy and the Amplify Accelerator. Right here on this podcast, we'll inspire you to become a bold and powerful voice in the world and claim your space with confidence. You can be bold and go against the grain to become the creative rebel you wanna be. Forget average, it's time to level up. Hey, hey, welcome back to the podcast. Amazing to have you here. Listen, this is such a great episode and I wanna dive straight in. So I'm gonna introduce you to today's guest and then we're gonna dive in because I think it's so juicy and so good. And I absolutely loved this conversation with Mel Brown who you're about to meet if you don't know her her already. So my guest, Mel Brown, is a multi-award winning serial entrepreneur. She's the co-founder of The Money Bar, a financial planning firm for Gen X and Y, now Melissa Brown Courses, the co-founder and director of business at thinkers.inq, an innovative long day preschool based on creative and critical Thinking, which is amazing, and up until 2019, when she sold the business to an ASX-listed accounting firm, CEO of A and T A, an award-winning accounting firm, she's the author of four books, including More Money for Shoes, Fabulous but Broke, the global bestseller Unfck Your Finances, and her most recent is Budgets Don't Work, but This Does. So I started following Mal a while ago on her awesome Instagram, more money for shoes, who doesn't love that? And totally fell in love with her quirky and fun way of talking about money. Now, if you've been around the Brand Builders Lab podcast for a while, you'll know that I'm super passionate about helping women to manage money better in their business, earn more, pay themselves super, pay themselves and create more abundance in their life. And so I knew that I wanted to have Mel on to talk all things money. She talks about property investment and shares investment and tax and all the rest of it and It's not just about managing our business money well, it's about learning to build our money mindset, educate ourselves, leave old beliefs that we're not good with money behind and start setting ourselves up for financial success. So in this episode, Mel is sharing her story, but we're also talking about some of the key things that you can start to think about when it comes to how you can take charge of your money, how you can stop believing that you're not great with it and actually, actually start to educate yourself and do the things that are going to put you in the driver's seat. So I loved this conversation and I can't wait to share it with you. So let's dive in. Melissa, welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I've been wanting to have you. I feel like we tried to do this maybe a year ago and it didn't quite work. Uh Uh-huh. yeah, we're both here. <laughs> I know. We got here in the end. And you know, it's hard when you've been like swanning all over Europe and in Paris. And I was
1: watching. I was like, oh, it looks amazing. I loved it. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not even gonna try and suggest <laughs> that it was hard work. It was the best time. And I'm already planning next year's trip. <laughs> so. Oh, good on
0: you. Good on you. So, so good. So Mel, for my audience uh, who don't know you, can you just give Mm. us a little bit of background? I've given a bit of an intro, but a little bit of, of background on how you ended up here and why what you talk about is so important for you.
1: Absolutely. So I would say I'm an accidental accountant, an accidental entrepreneur, and an accidental multimillionaire. Like it is just accidental, accidental, accidental. But having said that, behind that is also a lot of hard work and determination and being willing and having the courage to actually have a go. So the reason I said accidental for all those things is I'm a Western Sydney chick. I grew up thinking that you got to go a certain uh, down a certain path. Like you got married, you had kids um, and you like for the woman, primarily you stayed at home. Like I just, I knew what I saw. And I saw a lot of that in my parents and what they had around them. So I grew up, I was a smart girl. So my dad funneled me towards law. Um, And when I hated that after a few years, accounting. Mm. And I like to say that if I'd said to my 12-year-old self, one day you're going to be an accountant, I think I would have cried and not come out <laughs> of my room. <laughs> but I just wanted to please him. Yeah. Uh, and it's that's part of my story is I'm a people pleaser. I'm an introvert. And I just, I just want people to think well of me. So yeah. I'm an accidental accountant simply because I wanted to keep my dad happy. happy never should do something uh, because of that. I started my business simply to do more study. So I leaf dropped the area. I took on a few clients and that kind of just grew of its own accord till at age 33, I kind when I divorced my first husband, I sat there and went, I'm an accountant. I'm divorced. I uh, am running my own show. None of those things was ever something I wanted for myself So if I had the courage to leave him knowing that uh, my fundamental Christian parents would potentially never speak to me again, uh, then what else do I have the courage to do? What else do I want to do? And it made me realize that the thing that I loved wasn't accounting, it was business. Mm. And I loved helping women particularly grow their businesses. And the vehicle just happened to be accounting. And that, for me, has been a a theme throughout my life. I want transformational change, whether that's in my life or whether it's in the lives of people I help. The conduit has just simply been business finance to start, and now personal finance. I think it could have been anything that just happened to be what I'm good at. Yeah. Um. So my personal story as well is that at age 33, not only did I decide I want to keep doing that, and wrote four books, and Uh, create a very, very successful accounting and financial advice firm, which I sold just before COVID and now do financial uh, courses. But my husband, as we were going through that divorce, said to me that I'd never make it on my own. You know, we get emotional, Mm. we say these throwaway lines. And that, because I am that rebel personality, I just took every cent in of the divorce. I cleared out all of my business and personal bank accounts Gave it all to charity, and I wanted to ring them up the next day and say, uh, "I'm the charity. Can I have that back, please?" Oh my Gosh! Wow! <laughs> it meant I had to move into a frat house with five friends into a, it, which is not as glamorous as it sounds. It was a tiny, mold covered basement room, um, and it took me about three years to come out of that and to come back from less than nothing. Because so I didn't have bond, I didn't have wages, I didn't have anything and fast forward to today in my 40s i now am a multimillionaire and have the choice to work or not simply because in that mold covered bedroom i sat there and went i never want to be in this position again i never want to be reliant on what I'm, and the whims of a man but more than that i want to be in charge of my own destiny both with my business but also with my personal finances so that's why I say it's sort of accidental, accidental, accidental. But also in those defining moments, they just woke me up and went, yeah. no, this is not, this is not going to be the story of my life. Oh my gosh. So many questions, Mel. So many questions.
0: <laughs> okay. So the first one. last. what you asked? <laughs> oh oh Okay. What would 12 year old Mel would have wanted to do if she wasn't pleasing her father?
1: Do you know what? I don't know because I really didn't, do you know, they they say you you want what you see mm. and I just didn't see anyone. I was in a very blue collar environment. I just didn't see anything that I really wanted to do. I thought mm. for a while I might want to be a hairdresser. I thought for a while I might want to be a policeman. The truth is I wanted to be creative. I used to draw and write and do all those things, but I never thought that could be a career it never occurred to me. I loved reading. It yeah. never occurred to me you could be a writer. Like I never put those things together. Yeah. So. She
0: I says actually, after four books now. I yeah.
1: know. But back then, yeah, I get it. I get it. I think I would have loved to have studied writing or, um, and to really geek out on that. I think I would have really enjoyed that.
0: Amazing. And mm. so when you kind of tried law and you didn't love it and you went to accounting,
1: were you always good with numbers? no. So I was, but interestingly, I didn't do maths in year 12. Okay. Uh, So I did four unit maths and I just hated it. It's one of those things that I just happened to be good at, but it didn't Mm. mean that I loved it. I didn't want to be an astrophysicist. I didn't want to be an engineer. So I dropped to three unit and I still didn't enjoy it. And so I went to my maths teacher and went, oh, could I drop to two unit? And she made the mistake of saying to me, well, if you're going to do that, you may as well drop it completely. At which point I went, oh, is that an option? <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't do maths at all in my HSC or my. Uh, and I think the learning for that is you don't have to be good at maths to understand the numbers or to know the numbers side of business yeah. because there's programs that exist for you for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So good. Okay. A couple more questions.
1: We are going to, we are going to get into the interview
0: just a second, but I'm just like, so you divorced the husband. Why Mm. did you give all
1: your money to charity? It was because of that throwaway line where he said, you'll never make it on your own. And my response to that is I never want him saying you're only here because of me. Uh, And whether that's because of the joint assets we had or from, I wanted complete separation so that he could never look back and say, part of your success, you owe to me. Oh, I see. So I created that vortex so that that wouldn't happen. Stupid. (laughs) Hang on a sec. What happened?
0: Uh, Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So interesting. And I'd love to know, when you look back now, Mm. what was your money mindset like in those early years and through
1: that period my money mindset was a combination of scarcity and i'm not enough so those were the two loudest voices in my head it was you better keep hustling and working because you aren't good enough you know you're a western sydney chick who are you to think that you deserve that you just need to be happy with what you've got and these things don't happen for chicks like you like those voices in my head were so loud Um, And I had to do a lot of work to diminish that. And I think women carry a lot of that with us anyway around not being enough and comparing, you know, physically from an early age. We're told to look at ourselves and compare. We're fed princesses and all these other tropes. And I think uh, that comes through with business. It comes through with personal finance. And it's about recognising that. For me, I had to do a lot of work around that. Um, Mm -hmm. And that voice is still there but it's very, very quiet and I don't feed it.
0: Mm. Where do you think that voice comes from? Was it just society or do you feel like it was parents, family,
1: friends? Mm. Like where, where had that sort of built up? I definitely think it's part society. You mm. know, I grew up with the supermodel culture. I grew up with... A diet culture and that constant need that you know who you are it's not enough you need to constantly be wanting to be thinner or to Mm. be blonder or to be you know you just have this physical attribute that you're supposed to uh want which was is so damaging and for me personally was extraordinarily damaging but also I grew up in a very uh quite violent inconsistent household so that as well, that safety uh, was removed for me. So I grew up just being hyper alert um, and being aware that life was hard and, you know, you just had to, you needed to be careful. So I think that twin thing of both absolutely how I grew up, mm. but also society and how it, it absolutely talks to men and women different, mm. differently, um, that, I, that I grabbed those mindsets.
0: Mm, So interesting.
1: And so you start your firm and
0: through that, you obviously said that you sold it just before COVID. Mm. What was your experience of building this firm and, and having, you know, this near entrepreneurial journey that you were going on?
1: Yeah. So I, I really decided to invest in myself. So in my mid thirties, when I decided uh, that the mission that I wanted was to help women particularly, that, and because that was bigger than me, it meant that I could invest in myself. So I looked, and I'm super competitive. You know, I grew up in it as an athlete. So if I I know if I'm in those environments, that is where I'm going to succeed. So I put myself into a coaching program uh, for accountants, and it was mainly blokes. And that also fueled something in me to, you know, I want to beat the boys. Yeah, <laughs> I <So, laughs> love it. So I, every quarter had to fly to Brisbane uh, and I invested really, my business was a quarter of a million bucks at that point. I was investing half of my profit in this program. And my thing was, I just really want to grow. And I think I'm going to need something beyond me Mm. to help me get there. And so I did that and that gave me the processes and the support and the competitive environment to want to do more um, and I took one of my team with me each time because sometimes in business it's really lonely and it's isolating and you need someone else to get it as much as you get it mm-hmm. so that when you're not there they can be running as well. So I took her with me um, and we ended up being one of the very few, fee- uh, so I'm a solo owner of an accounting firm, I was, one of the very few solo female-owned seven-figure Uh, accounting firms in Australia and I sold that to an ASX listed firm Um, and I'm super proud of that because yeah congrats that's awesome we did something different I wasn't scared to do to really be feminine in that Mm. and we attracted both blokes and women because they just wanted something different which I loved
0: Yeah. So good. And so once uh, you had sold it and obviously Mm. COVID hit as well. So what's your business journey been like and what, what was your thoughts around like the new mission? So you've sold it. You're going to start this, um, this other business. What were you sort of thinking? What were you seeing that you felt like you could really help?
1: So I had always intended to sell by 50. And the year that I sold it, I'd suffered a compressed nerve in my neck and I had three really good friends say to me at three different times, why are you pushing it so hard? You clearly aren't loving it anymore. Like they knew me really well and they had the permission to to say these things into my life because we were those mm. good friends. And they just said, why 50? Like why are you waiting? So I sold it uh, pre-COVID and I'm so grateful that I did. But I sold it without a plan. Uh, which is so not me. I'm the one that needs to read the last page of a book. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd met, uh, I'd met Tina Tower, who you know, just before, and she taught me or she just showed me a glimpse of online the online course world and what was possible. And because I am an introvert, I looked at that and went, oh, I do not enjoy one-on-ones. This concept of teaching people to fish rather than fishing for them And doing it in a way where I'm not having to extend that energy one-on-one is so what I was created to do. So I started to delve into online courses pre-COVID. And then, of course, during COVID, we're all in front of screens. And I feel like it was the perfect time for me where people cared about their finances more than ever before because suddenly they were forced to. Uh, And they were in an environment where they were used to Zoom. They were used to online learning. So the vehicle that I wanted to use absolutely exploded. So this has been, uh, whilst I would never have chosen COVID like so many of us, uh, it's been the perfect storm for a business like mine because it's just been so necessary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I was saying to you a little bit earlier, my my listeners will know, like I talk about profitability and managing Mm. money and really thinking ahead about, you know, superannuation and because I feel like in the entrepreneurial space, especially with women, there are some beliefs around feeling like money is hard. A lot of us grew up with that story of, I don't know how to manage money. Um, you know, it's hard. It is a boys club. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Oh, like I'll let my husband look after it. Like all of these things. I talk to clients money's all the not time. not feminine. About- yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, even don't be salesy because money or, you yes. know, money's a dirty word, all the rest of it. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on as well is because it's great for us to make money in our business, but mm. I am passionate like you about us becoming really savvy with how we manage money in our life and our business is one of those elements. Yeah. And so what are you seeing when, you know, I guess in the female entrepreneur space, I know that you, that's not the only people you work with, mm. but when it comes to money, money management, all the things you teach, what are you seeing?
1: So it's all the things you're talking about, uh, where it's a really, so if I spoke to a group of guys and a group of women, they would act very differently with their businesses. Neither of them is right. So I was in a, an organisation called Entrepreneurs' Organisation, EO, um, 85% male. And at networking events, quite literally, this is how they would introduce themselves. Hi, my name's Mark. I've got a $5 million business. Hi, I'm Trevor. My business is doing 10 mil. Hi, I'm Steve. My business is doing 20 mil. Like that is how they would introduce themselves. I've never met a woman that introduced themselves that way. Nice. Whereas with, uh, but with those blokes, what I would do is because that's ego, right? Yeah. I would say to them, I love that. What's your profit? And it was like I'd <laughs> said to them, how big is your penis? Because they were <laughs> horrified. They were mortified because their businesses mightn't have been turning a profit or their profit might have been teeny tiny. Yeah. So, they, so just because they're talking about those things doesn't actually mean they've got it right. Yeah. But as women, I want to see us care about the numbers more, to realise that it's not unfeminine to want to make money in our business mm. and that if we're going to spend that much time, that much energy uh, and that much stress on our businesses, we may as well make it as profitable as they can be. And the thing that I know from women is that when women make the money in a community. Family benefits and the community benefits. So perhaps for women, what I've discovered is that oftentimes you need to make the vision bigger than you, because if it's just you, chances are you won't push yourself uh, and you don't want, you think it's not right to make that much money. So oftentimes before you can get there mentally, it's about saying, okay, well, what could you do like how much do you want and what would that look like and what could you do as a result of having that so it's reverse engineering it mm. but one of the biggest things i'm seeing with women in business particularly is they're not putting their own financial oxygen mask on they're not looking after themselves they're not paying themselves superannuation and that like that scares the bejesus mm. out of me when women over 55 are most at risk of homelessness because they don't have enough super so it's understanding that, yes, we need to care about our businesses, but actually we need to put our financial oxygen masks on over here as well in our personal finances. Yeah. How can they do that, Mel?
0: Like when we're thinking about that, because we, I think we are kind of dealing with, uh, with that money mindset and, and then also feeling capable in managing and understanding the profit and doing the super and all the rest of it. Are there things that you talk about that really help women to shift into that mindset, one of them being something bigger than yourself? Yeah. Is there anything else that you, you teach your clients?
1: So the first is absolutely having it bigger than themselves. Yeah. Second is understanding your money story because often how the story you grow up grew up with when it came to money infects every part of your uh, story, whether it's personal finance or business finance. So my personal money story around not being enough and scarcity, I absolutely brought that to my business. And what I thought I was capable of in my business is far less than what I actually was capable of. So sometimes it's putting yourself in situations where you see other women and other people that are doing what you don't think you're capable of, or even blokes, like what whatever, so that you can say, if she can do it, I can do it. And it's that thing around what you see, you can become. So I think that's the other big part of it. But third is to normalize it.
0: Mm.
1: Um, it's normalized talking about money. I went to a planning day last week with some good friends uh, that we've been in a group for quite a long time, and we uh, where we meet regularly to talk about business. And we started to talk about our goals for next year, and I just put my hand up and said, "If we're going to do this, can we please talk numbers?" Because even in that safe space, I'm like, oh, I just want to grow or I want to do this. I'm like, let's put numbers around this. Why are we so scared? And I think part of it is we might not think we're capable of of reaching that. You know, if I say I want to make a million bucks in my business and I don't think I'm capable of that, do I really want to put it out there? And yet what I know is that if you say you want to hit a million bucks, you might not hit a mil, but you might hit 800000 Whereas if you're just trying for 500, you might hit three. So sometimes it's putting goals beyond, like in your mind, unrealistic goals Mm. so that you overshoot the limiting place you think you should be. And to ask the question, well, if you were to go there, what would you need to be doing? And then to start to do that.
0: Yeah. I think the other thing with that is what if I put my numbers out there and, like other people think that's not enough or like the comparison of somebody might be like, well, I'm going to be hitting a million. Somebody else is like, I'd really love to hit a hundred thousand or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. And I think that's that thing where we're all running our own race and as women, whether it's comparing uh, our jobs as parents or comparing how we look, or comparing our our wealth. We are taught from a very young age to compare Mm -hmm. and to find ourselves wanting um, or to judge. You know, we're taught to judge each other and to compete. And it's realising that we are running our own race and to cheer each other on and to keep running. You know, if you've got someone running next to you who wants a million bucks and you want 100,000, put out there that you want to get to 100 because you can learn from the person that's at a mill. Mm. Whereas if you don't know, you can't learn. Um, I remember speaking to a group at Westfield back in the day and I said to them, I want you to turn to the person next year. And I just want to share a recent win, a, a financial win you've had, you know, let's not be vulnerable. Let's do it. And it was an older woman and a 20 something year old girl. And the 20 year old had just bought an investment property. And the older woman came out to me later and went, oh my God, she's killing it. And I would never have thought to talk to her about money before. I'm now having lunch with her tomorrow and she's going to talk to me about, uh, she's going to share mortgage breaking tips and how she did it. She said, I never would have thought to do this because I judged her when you said, talk to her. And I was thinking, great, I've been sat next to her. I'm not going to learn anything. So it's understanding that it's not a competition. And by putting out, putting this out there, you can actually learn Uh, from people Mm. versus hiding you know the federal government in australia has just mandated uh, and taken away uh, pay secrecy and what i know is when you share your pays women's pays get lifted so i think the same is true of our business if we share our goals if we share our wins if we share what's worked for us then all the the water rises for all of us Then all our businesses get lifted
0: yeah. I love that. I love that. And now one of the things that I love that I'm a bit obsessed with you at the moment with is the full <laughs> shares thing. I downloaded oh, your so nine upset. shares apps that you should be, uh-huh. you should be checking out. I've been talking to my, and this is like another thing, like my husband does a lot of investing mm. and I'm always like, what are we investing in? Like, where is it? What's happening? How are yep. you making that decision? And really trying to educate myself, which is why I'm like, well, you know, Mal said, um, (laughs) which he really loves. (laughs) That's so cool. But I think that one of the mindsets that we have a lot of the time is like, it's a bit scary and it's going to, and it's really hard to understand and Mm. it's going to be really complicated and risky. Yeah. Like what, what do you sort of teach clients or talk to clients about when that's the mindset, I guess, once again, because that's what society has kind of taught us, I guess. Exactly. I don't know. That's the message to women. Yeah. How do we get over that so that we can start to become more curious with it?
1: Yeah. So I want to uh, talk about something first and then I'll answer that. Yeah. So as Starling Bank research uh, around how the media talks to men and women found that it talks to women, men and women very differently. To blokes. Most of the articles are money makes you more of a man. To women, it's that we overspend and we need to be more frugal. So already we're being taught that you should handle the money and you shouldn't, because you mm. can't be trusted. And women are told you just need to tighten your belt and trust the blokes. Like it's it's this unconscious, insidious thing that the media does with us. So that's one. But that meant so it a Fidelity research piece in the US found that 93% of people surveyed thought that men would make better investors than women, and it's as a result of research like this. Yet a Warwick Business School longitudinal study found that women and men outperformed the index, so they both performed better than the the general stock market index, and women outperformed the men. Amazing. I know, right? So first of all, I want to bust the myth that women don't make great investors because we really freaking do we're not as risk uh, we're not as risky and we're not prepared to bet the house so that inherent need for us to be a little safer and this is this is general because i don't have that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i figured um, that yeah 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 so that uh, inherent risk actually will help us as an investor it means that we we won't necessarily want to um to bet the house but I also want to say that anything new is scary. Mm. You know, If you want to run a marathon for the first time, that could be absolutely frightening. If you want to learn a new language, if you want to have a child, I mean, let's think about what women do anyway. I haven't had one. I've chosen not to. But just the concept of having a child and birthing it, freaking hell. Mm-hmm. Like my theory is if you can do that, you can do shares. <laughs> and the problem <laughs> is, that most of us don't uh we don't think that we're capable for a start, mm. which we are, that that research piece is proven. But also we're not used to trying something new. It would kind of get to a certain point in our life. And that's kind of I don't know, I don't know when that happens where that little lizard brain inside us says that's all the new things for you. Just hang up your boots, that you're done. just cruise now. Uh, I tried to study, oh, I started to learn French uh, this year so freaking hard (laughs) but it's that thing that and it reminded me that we don't often learn something new and it's hard and it's about persisting with it and what I will say is shares is just a skill no different than learning to learn a language no different than learning to ride a bike or drive a car will it take you a little while initially to learn the lingo and feel comfortable sure But absolutely over time, the more that you do it, the more you feel comfortable with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. But you do need to to start to learn.
1: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you do need to, to decide I'm going to give this a crack because, you know, you could use sharing. I think share investing is a great equalizer. You don't need a deposit of hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can quite literally invest with someone else's money insofar as I could use a cashback app or a shop back app mm. and use the rewards and invest that way. So there's so, like you can do it so cheaply for quite literally 20 bucks will get you started. So it's a beautiful way of starting to invest.
0: Yeah, I love that. And you do have a download, which we will have in the show notes as well about the nine nine apps. I was looking at them the other day as well, which I, yeah, I definitely want to try and mm. hmm learn more about it so that I'm like, what, what, what could I invest in? And I remember I ages that. ago, and I don't know what's happened to it since, but I remember you were kind of educating on why it would be good to invest in one particular business that had gone public, mm-hmm. which was Adore, I think, at the Adore time. Adore Beauty. Yeah, yeah. so
1: many women were interested for the first time on, oh, hey, I use this company and yeah. it's floating, should I invest? So I w- I was saying these are the pros These are the cons and now would you do it? Um, So, yeah, I think finding companies you're interested in can be a beautiful way to start. I think my answer at the time was it's probably overpriced and history has gone on to prove that. But you don't have to choose a single company and most of us shouldn't necessarily do that. We can exchange in, we can invest in something called exchange trade funds, which give us a basket of a whole bunch of companies And we just pick the risk profile or the type of investments that are right for us. So Mm. I probably just scared people off with a few (laughs) words there, but (laughs) trust me when I say sometimes it it quite literally is a a choose one, set and forget, and then just keep investing. Yeah.
0: I love that. That's so good. And Is there anything that you think from a business perspective and managing Mm. money in your business that you think is good for us to know or something we should think about in order to get the most out of what we're earning in our business?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think one, we need to understand the numbers side of business. There comes a certain point in business where you can wing it, But after a while, if you really want to grow your business, if you want it to be the most profitable business that it can be, you've got to understand the numbers side of business. So that means things like uh, your sales, your gross profit, your net profit, your wages ratio, your cash flow, like understanding those things. And those things, the terms might be scary or they might seem hard. They're really not. Um, It is just, again, educating yourself. It is. uh, So that would be one is you need to do that. Second would be understanding how much you want to pay yourself. So too few women are just eating out of their business bank account when really they should be paying themselves. And my rule of thumb is if you can go and get a job, if you're worth 150K by going and getting a job, that's what you should be getting to as a minimum in your business. Mm. So it's figuring out how can you do that and maybe reverse engineering it. Right. If I want to get to 150K, paying me that means i then need to earn four hundred thousand in my business great and i want to keep an eye on profits and keep an eye on gross profits and sales so that i know that that's possible and then physically pay it um and uh, pay yourself super appropriately as well but also have more than one business bank account if you're trying to operate from the one bank account you're forgetting about tax you might be forgetting about bills I'm a fan of what we're doing in personal finance. We're also doing with our businesses. So we want an everyday account. We want a tax account and we want a buffer account at a very minimum. And the buffer account would have three months worth of expenses in it so that if there is, you know, we're in Australia, there's talks of a soft landing, not a recession, Mm. but a soft landing still might mean a retraction where we need some funds in reserve if something, you know, if we had a quiet month rather than freaking out or jumping onto credit. So it's doing those great practices. Yeah. I
0: love that. I am a fan of profit first. Um, I don't know if like some people love it. Some people don't, but I'm just like, you you don't have to listen to everything, but the different bank accounts. I just think when I did that, yeah, like my whole business just completely changed because you're like...
1: focusing on the the you're focusing on profit, right? Yeah. So suddenly it's that whole thing where what I water will grow. Yeah. I'm focusing on profits. Guess what? I'm going to grow my profits. If I'm focusing on sales, yes, sales is great, but without profits, what's the point?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I want to touch on something that you just mentioned there. I'd love to ask a question around reinvestment because you were sort of saying Mm. when you had your accounting firm, you know, a lot of the money that you had coming in, you were reinvesting in this mastermind or the the groups that you were in. Mm. What are your thoughts on debt in business for either growth or how do we reinvest? So there's almost two mm. questions there.
1: Yeah. So we, I have no problems with debt in business. What I do know is that uh, women are often scared of debt uh, because they don't want to risk the house, but I, I am absolutely not scared of debt in business as long as it's the right sort of debt. So if you're just getting a debt to get a car and that car really has no purpose for your business, I'm probably not a fan of it. But if you're in debt for machinery that's going to help you, if you're in going into debt for a course that you know by doing this the return on investment is going to be why, or if you're going into debt for um, something else where you sit down and say, right, if I borrow this, this is what needs to happen as a result. So you've got to sit down and have a strategy for debt, both what's the return that you want on it, And then B, if that didn't happen, how would you pay for it? So I've got a preschool uh, that I invest in that my very good friend and educator runs. We absolutely had to go into debt for that. But I sat down and worked out, right, it needs to take five years to pay off. And the strategy was that we would both uh, consult and put money into it in case the preschool didn't grow quick enough. That was like our plan B. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, don't no problem at all. With the reinvesting, particularly if it's a product business that's growing fast, you'll understand you have to reinvest mm-hmm. and you're going to probably have to go into debt for that product um, anyway. So that's just a whole different beast. But for, for service-based businesses, I'm still a fan of reinvesting if I can see a return on that. So if I'm reinvesting on things that aren't going to give me a return on investment and are really just window dressing, so if every year I'm rejigging my website and I'm spending on cosmetic things mm. that aren't going to necessarily bring me money, then sure, I'm I'm probably not going to have I'm probably going to have a problem with that. But if I'm investing in thing reinvesting on staff, so I'm I'm grabbing staff for growth, uh, which I'm just about to do, or maybe you're investing in. Training um, or courses, because you know that this is what will happen as a result, or this is what you want as a result. Then again, I don't have a problem, and I've done that continuously. But your question should always be, "What's my return on investment if I was to do this?" Mm. And then to track that to see if that actually is true, and to pull the pin if if it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, and is there any like? Do you have any? thoughts on percentage on reinvestment, either for yourself or in the business? Because I guess when we do Mm. look at profit first, just as as a very baseline is kind of the 30, 30, 30, 10-ish. Obviously that that depends on where you are with tax and all the rest of it. Mm. But where do you think that that should sort of come out of?
1: So it depends on the type of business that you're in, because some businesses will be really heavy on staff, say. And so Uh, accounting and other professional services would be a third staff generally it's their models generally a third a third a third Mm. a third for the owner a third for the business and then a third uh uh for you oh sorry for for wages and Mm. what have you uh so it depends on the type of business you are as to what those percentages are um For me, at the moment, uh, being an online business, I'm spending a lot more on advertising than I ever have before as a percentage. Um, But again, that's the nature of what I do. So what I would suggest is that you go and look at benchmarks so that you can buy or see benchmark reports that will give you an indication as to what the top performing businesses, their percentage spends are, and also what an average business, their percentage spends are. And that will give you an idea you know, if if they're spending 20% on wages and you're spending 25, you might look at it and go, okay, I seem to be heavy on wages. Why is that? And do I need to grow my sales quicker so that I can be back in amongst benchmark? Your If you look at that benchmark report, it might say trainings 4% and you're spending 10, but a significant part of that which mine was way more than 4%, Mm. but a significant part of that is you and this is the return you wanted as a a result, then again, I wouldn't have a problem with that. So those benchmark reports are amazing, but always use them to come back to yours and then question, but is that right for me? Mm.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I do, and I feel like that's a conversation that needs to happen more in the entrepreneurial space is that I guess- like the quantifiable, like reinvestment in the business, reinvestment in yourself, understanding like, how can I put away for that? Just like we put away for tax. How am I oh. saying, okay, well, 10% or 1% or whatever it is, 5% of my revenue for the year is my own training budget. Because a lot of my listeners um, and my community are solo printers, like they mm. may have VAs or designers that they contract in but as far as the revenue for the year goes or whatever it is really looking at saying okay I'm gonna allocate five thousand dollars or three thousand or ten thousand for myself um to ensure that I feel supported I continue to grow I continue to learn those sorts of things as well
1: absolutely and and you might and it's being really careful too because if you're a solopreneur and you are a service-based for example you you're you might be looking at a benchmark with, and you're comparing yourself to service-based businesses with staff. Yeah. Whereas, really, your profit maybe should be more like fifty yeah. percent. So it's being really careful around how you compare. For me, as an online business, my profit should be minimum fifty percent, like minimum. Um. So I watch that very carefully because I don't want to overspend, and have things go uh toward things that are that are unnecessary. Having said that. Exactly to your point, I am keenly aware of what I don't know in this space at the moment. So I am spending on uh, those things to skill me up that I know I'm spending more heavily than I will in the future, but actually I'm okay with that because I see this as a season of learning and growing so that I can really propel my business growth. And I, if I'm honest, I've invested more heavily in me than probably any business business other, like any other accounting business out there, perhaps uh, that I knew simply because I knew that if I was motivated and if I was skilled up and if I had not just the business learning but also the other skills, then, then I would be the best business owner that I could possibly be.
0: Yeah, and I love that, you know, when you invest in yourself, you're actually investing in the future you as well as your mm. clients. Like I just mm-hmm. always think, you know, when I spend however much I spend on myself, I always I say to my clients, like, you get that. Yeah. Like you get, yes. I spend
1: it on me and then right. I help you and like, you get but the learning. Put into that, like I get my hair blow dried once a week. I have a cleaner. I have a lymphatic massage once a month. I put that in the bucket of if I'm spending that on myself, I'm a better business owner. Yeah. Now my business can't necessarily pay for that, but in my head that forms part of uh, the cost of me doing business, mm. whereas uh, someone else might not have that same cost. So it's it's realising that some of these things that are seen as selfish spends, actually, if they're going to make you perform at a high level, if that means that you are doing more of what you should be, they're actually a good thing to spend money on, which is, might seem strange that an ex-accountant is saying, it's okay to have a monthly massage if that's going to mean you a, a better performer.
0: Hundred percent. I was just on that finishing on that note as well. I said to my, I uh, said to some clients when they were doing their launch. I'm like, you have to like with the emails and with the ads and with the lives and all of that. You've also got to block in your self care days within oh, a launch, not after, absolutely.
1: but no, within it, before and,
0: and during. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and I think we should just have that in general in our business yeah. that we are. That's part of the upkeep of our business is the upkeep of us and our mental health and our physical well-being because a lot of times we, we're the ones who are delivering to the client as well. So yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah. And if our energy's down, if our energy's off, then that potentially will contribute to lower sales and, and less productivity and all oh, of like it trickles out. So,
0: yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, so what we're saying, listener is go and get the massage, <laughs> go and get the blow dry, go and get the facial. That's
1: okay. Yeah. <laughs> go get the sales so that you can then pay yourself so that you can afford those things. I love it. Yeah. It's so good.
0: Awesome. Well, Mal, I have absolutely loved this chat and I knew that it would be so beneficial to my listeners just Mm. to start getting them thinking about not just like the money in our business, although I think that the things that we've talked about, we just can't talk about enough, but also don't be scared to learn new things. Don't be scared Mm. to explore how you can become like, you know, more educated about money within your life you know, whether it's investment, property, just, you know, understanding the budget, whatever it is. Like we're all capable of doing that.
1: Absolutely. We're more than capable. We're actually able to be really, really good at this. It's just making that conscious choice and starting.
0: Yeah, for sure. Mal, what have you got coming up? Tell us all the things. And then for Mm. those who are walking the dog or in the car, where can they find you? We'll have all of these links in the show notes as well.
1: Yeah. So you can come play with me over at Insta More Money for Shoes. Um, I launch my signature course three times a year, the My Financial Adulting Plan. So end of Jan will be the next one for that. But we've also got things like shares masterclasses and property masterclasses and books and little bite-sized things and freebies you can come and play with. So if you want more on personal finance and and you know this is an area that you need help with, then come play with me.
0: Yeah. Amazing. And your team or you have sent us a link that is specifically for uh, for my audience here, which talks about like 50 ways to find an extra 10K in 12 months and then uh, Mel's books. And then you can also check out the financial adulting plan too. So we've got all of the goodies for you, which is amazing, but thank you You're so welcome. much for coming on and talking money.
1: Oh, I absolutely loved it. Thanks
0: for having me. I'm glad we finally did it. I know. And you have to check Mel's Instagram out. The best handle ever, more money for shoes, which I love. And you'll also learn about finance through chocolate frogs. Mm, Who knew that was a thing? Who knew that was a thing? Mel, have an amazing day. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks, gorgeous. You too.
0: How good was that? Did you love it? she's so great to follow and I am always learning about these things so I just think it's really up to us as women to take charge to make the decision that we are smart enough to manage money we are capable of doing it and that we just have to spend the time like getting better at doing anything in life we have to spend the time to educate ourselves and learn how to do it and then take action on it. So I hope that this inspired you. Make sure you go follow Mal. If you've got any questions, send either one of us a DM. But yeah, I love this conversation and I'm so glad I could bring it to you. Well, that's it for another week. It has been amazing to have you here as always. And remember to follow me on all socials at Suze Chadwick. But thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then I would love you to leave a review so that others can find the podcast and come and hang out with us every week. Until next time, have an awesome week and make sure you keep playing big and branding bold.